Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Ghost reporting for duty here on a Sunday night for your Monday delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so. We discuss the latest going goings on in the sport of mixed martial art, results from the last UFC fight night, and of course, uh, covering the latest daily news that our sport gives us. Some drama, some actual news, and AJ McKee will join us as well, the former Bellator featherweight champ, current Bellator lightweight, though he hasn't closed the door on featherweight. So he's a, he's kind of like a moneyweight guy. He'll talk to us about the big event going down between Bellator MMA and Ryzen FF on New Year's Eve out in Tokyo, Japan. It's a collaboration between both of the uh, promotional giants, and uh, it's kind of reviving what used to be, I guess, a tradition in the past, going back to the days of Pride Fighting Championships. So that should be pretty cool. Some big names as well are, are part of this. Not only AJ McKee, but Pitbull Frady. We'll talk to him about that. And then, uh, yeah, gotta mention Argentina defeating France. Uh, in fact, we may lead off with it. No disrespect to Cannoneer and Strickland goes. They went out there. They put on a, a decent fight. A little controversy in Sean Strickland's eyes. But it wasn't a big enough fight for us not to talk about the end of the World Cup. The World Cup final was today, and Argentina defeated France in penalties. It was a 3-3 game that had to go into penalties, and they decided it by winning, I believe, 3-1 to one, uh, in the penalty round. And they're... Your 2022 champs. It's all over now. The teams will be leaving Qatar soon and heading back. To, well, most countries have already headed back, but that'll be the end of a, what was about a four-week run. Here it goes. Uh, what'd you think, man? Hell of a game. And a, a country that hadn't won since 1986 is back on top. I think it might be the greatest World Cup ever. And the greatest World Cup final ever. It was a great game, man. A lot of back and forth. I thought France's goose was cooked. But then I guess after what happened with the the Minnesota Vikings the day before, nobody's out really. But 2 nothing in a World Cup final, like that's that's tough to come back from, you know? And um with ten minutes have, left. Yeah, with ten minutes left and for them to come back and do that and uh, it was nuts, dude. Nuts. Tons of penalties. A lot of penalties. But uh, I don't know. The shootout's kind of... I wish it didn't end in, end in a shootout, but uh, they just played their asses off during the game. It was a great final. Yeah, and that people ask, why do you, why do you decide important games with penalties? Well, most games go 90 minutes. You have your three subs, and now you have your five subs, which is it's a, a rule that's been changed in the last few years. It's tiring, folks. The game's changed, too. A lot of players run a lot more. You know, they press. They don't just play their positions. They press and then trek back to help out on D and uh, 
um, you know, athletes are just more athletic nowadays. And this is kind of like a tournament that's just slipped in, like these games that play, that was played, these all these training sessions. This isn't part of a normal year, but um, the players that get to go from the countries that qualify, it's, it's taxing. Like a lot of them aren't going to return right away to their teams. They're going to have a little holiday to relax and then come back. But anyway, I agree with Goes. Probably the best final I've seen in years because it went back and forth. Uh, Argentina took a 2 nothing lead, and with 10 minutes left, France came back, tied it. Then in overtime, Argentina took a 3-2 lead, and then France came back and tied it. And then it went into over uh, penalty kicks. So going back to penalty kicks, why, why do they do it? Because they do do an extra 30 minutes. So aside from the 90 minutes, they play one-third of a game after that, another, another 30. And if you can't decide it at some point, <laughs> there's just – you know, now you're looking at players that are really severely exhausted, you know, and, and probably fighting through little injuries. It's It turns into an ugly game. Could be survival of the fittest, I suppose. But, hey, you, you can't argue with the drama. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, yeah, Argentina hadn't won it since 1986. They're led by their superstar, Lionel Messi, who literally just put a cherry on a Sunday of a career. Not to say he's done, but... He's won a Copa America and now a World Cup, in addition to everything he's done as a star player for Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain. Paris, Paris Saint-Germain in Paris, it's quite an epic career that that guy's had, and he'll definitely go down as the greatest player ever, some even saying he is the greatest player ever. And it's kind of hard to argue, honestly. But um, it, it, what I would say is I remember 2014 in Brazil being one hell of a fun tournament as well. So without remembering in detail every single game, I mean, every World Cup's awesome. Even the one in Russia I enjoyed. Peru hadn't, or the country our mom's from, they hadn't been in years since 1982. So that was enjoyable for us, even though they didn't get far. But I remember the 2014 one being pretty epic. It just had a shitty final. If you guys recall, I think Germany won, what, 6-1, to 7-1 against the host country in the final? Down. Oh, my God. Hell, yeah, it was. So this was different. The final was awesome. But anyway. I don't think we can spend too much more time on this without losing our audience. So congratulations to Argentina. But be on the lookout for images and videos of parades and social media. The Argentinian fans get down. I, I've been to Buenos Aires, Argentina, the capital. And I I guarantee you it'll be hard to see a parade bigger than the one you're going to see when eventually they have theirs because they're super passionate. It's a huge, huge capital with millions of uh, you know, the populations, you know, in the millions. And they're just going to go all out. So I think that one's going to be like as crazy as it gets. And um, I'd like to be there, honestly. I would have loved to have been there, but just uh, for the party. Um, UFC Fight Night took place here with Cannoneer and Strickland. It's the last card for the UFC for the year 2022 and so that pretty much ends what has been a pretty successful year for the UFC you know you always hear Dana White talking about sellouts and uh, gates that break records and you know with ever since they've been with ESPN they just have gained tons and tons of fans and this is a lot a lot of it is without a lot of other major stars not you know 
fighting, competing. But um, I've enjoyed covering it, and could it still be better? Yeah, because I, you know, you want to see more Masvidal fights, more McGregor fights, more, more Jones's fights, more Ngannou fights. You know, some guys did perform a lot, like Israel Adesanya, and uh, I think Volkanovski might have got three in. You know, and 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 some didn't. Probably leaving out some more. You know, but. Um, either way it goes, uh, are you relieved? Are you going to enjoy the break? What did you think about Cannoneer Strickland? Cannoneer Strickland was, how can I describe it? High you level party match? I don't want to disrespect them, but you never felt like either guy was really in that much trouble. You know? And right. the thing about Sean Strickland is, he kind of reminds me of Bisbee a little bit, where he's just going to try and overwhelm you with volume. But you never really have that sense that at any second, if he lands that big shot, like you just don't have that feeling. Um, he always goes forward, and I love that. Jared Cannonier, I thought, showed pretty decent fight IQ in this yeah. one. I, I really liked that about him. I thought he was a little bit more patient and exploded when he needed to explode. But... Uh, I didn't. I didn't really see it being too controversial as far as judging. I mean, the scores were controversial, but I thought Jared Cannonier won. I wasn't too surprised. I was surprised when somebody said, uh, uh, "Sean Strickland." I didn't think he did enough to win the fight. Me neither. Um, I thought Cannonier won at least the three rounds, and possibly the fourth. Cannonier had the bigger power shots that, you know, they're, they're supposed to be more damaging. So what, what I say about that is you can crack someone in the jaw pretty good and they can maybe lose their balance for a bit, sometimes be on wobbly knees, but the jaw doesn't show anything, you know? I often hear fighters go, look at his face, look at mine. Well, no, that doesn't, that doesn't always show it because you can get kicked hit hard to the body. You can get, you know, socked in the jaw and unless you're getting hit around the eyes or the nose or the mouth where there's blood then yeah sure yeah you can look a little bit uglier but anyway i thought cannonier was just hitting him with the harder shots the more impactful shots that could lead to the end of a fight even though to strickland's credit his chin usually holds up you know and it did this time but he was starting to get clipped sometimes when he would leave that chin out and i thought he was closer to maybe getting iced by one punch than Cannonier was to getting iced by one of Strickland's punches. Cause you're right. Goes, he doesn't for one, he doesn't punch as hard as other middleweights. I'm not saying he doesn't punch hard. I'd hate for him to punch me, but he doesn't punch as hard as other middleweights. He is a volume guy. And a lot of it is off balance. He does go forward, but then when he does get, you know, in these uh, exchanges, sometimes he's just throwing stuff off balance you know, and look, he it's worked for him for the most part. But in this fight, it didn't work because Cannoneer learned from the Izzy fight. And Cannoneer uh, was more active. So he, he had more output than before. Not a ton, but way more than before. Enough to win these rounds. He was kicking his legs as well. So I think that got in Strickland's head. And... 
other than I think one time they kind of accidentally got tied up and Strickland kind of had his back against the cage. Strickland didn't resort to being able to take Cannoneer down. And when I've seen Cannoneer get taken down before, flat on his back, he's not very impressive. And I thought that was a way where Strickland could maybe mix it up, mm-hmm. learn from the Pajeda fight, and, you know, possibly win rounds. But that didn't happen. And I'm not saying Strickland had low fighter IQ. I, I'm saying he had low fighter IQ, I think, at times, because I don't expect him to, to shoot a bunch of doubles and do a lot of wrestling. But I think you got to do a little bit more to keep the other guy honest. But when when you did, he wasn't punching you. You know what I mean? And you were you were doing enough to, to win your rounds or round or however you guys scored it. Mm-hmm. In the end, I didn't agree with Sean's assessment that he beat Cannoneer. I just didn't. Um, I was just more impressed with Cannoneer's. He had the more significant strikes in my eyes and then the, the kicks to the calf. Um, you could even hear Eric Nixick, Strickland's head coach, asking him for more, asking him to – uh, like focus, you know, like to dig deep to kind of fight better. Maybe I, I, I don't know. Like it, it was Nixick was struck, frustrated because Strickland just wasn't doing more. I think you, Strickland usually does a little bit more, or not executing, you know, whatever game plan was there. Luckily, Strickland, who can be his own enemy, goes went to social media and said, "Hey, look, I disagree. The judges suck." And then he it looked like he caught himself and said, "Look." You know, God bless you all. Happy holidays. I'm just going to collect myself and build again. And that's probably the best way to do it, you know. But I didn't, I, I just didn't think the judges sucked. I, I, it was weird that the judges' scores came out the way they did. And I know mm-hmm. I'm about to say something that I don't like hearing, but at least the right winner was called. Um, so we're not, you know, sweating. Man, you know, Cannonier didn't get his win bonus and all that. We're not sweating that part. But, yeah, I, I, I find it bizarre how the judges just saw different – distinct scores like that that's just happening too often and it's uh there's only three of them so you don't need much you know for uh to make a change here going forward but i don't know man it wasn't the worst fight it just um didn't have you on the edge of your seat like how we when we opened the show we were talking about the world cup game that game had you on the edge of your seat because you felt like anything could happen in this fight you didn't really you didn't really have that you just uh you're just watching two guys, and they both kind of go on the same speed the whole fight. Correct. I was not on the edge of my seat at all. And if you go to MMA decisions, 13 outlets or specific writers scored it for Cannoneer. 13, sorry, seven had it for Sean Strickland. So basically almost two to one. Most of them were 48-47 Cannoneer. All of them for Strickland were 48-47 Strickland. But Cannonier also did have a couple 49-46s and even a 50-45. Um, the judges, Derek Cleary and Junichiro Camijo, they both had 49-46 for Cannonier. Sal D'Amato, uh had it 49-46 for Strickland. And these are all judges that have been doing it for a long time, but yet they saw it different enough that you just have to wonder like okay what do you what do you what do you three what have you three um been taught 
what's your experience tell you? But yet, how do you? How is it that you come up with three different scores? Like, you, there's not an outlier there. There's not like someone you know, like when they go to the state of Texas or they go to another state. You always hear a judge's name. You're like, who? Like, but that that commission wants to have a few of their judges as well. Um, and sometimes they're the ones that deliver a score that's just a little bit off. But these judges have been doing it forever, you know. Yeah. And I'm wondering, do they talk afterwards and go? Geez, Camillo and I were on the same page. Well, what's up with you, Sal? You know, now if you ask Eric Nixick, he'd probably go. And Eric Nixick's always teasing Sal, like you know that Sal seems to go against his fighters. He'd probably be saying like, "Sal got it right. That's my boy." You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that was uh, kind of odd to be on that end of it for the first time. But uh, I just don't know what to do, man. I, I mean, we've kind of been over this a lot covering the sport on how to fix it but um they really haven't made a, you know we'll probably get to this eventually but they finally made a little bit of a stride as far as hey we need to do something but i, I don't even know that that's gonna help at all really so we'll see yeah i'm glad you brought that up we'll, we'll pivot to that in just a second but let me just throw this last thing at you here in round one Cleary and Camijo had a 10-9 for Cannoneer. Diamato went 10-9 Strickland. In round two, Cleary and Camijo had a 10-9 for Cannoneer. Sal Diamato went for Strickland. So Camijo and Cleary are on the same page. But in round three goes, Cleary, sorry, Cleary goes 10-9 Cannoneer. But Camijo goes 10-9 Strickland. He joins Diamato, who also gave 10-9 Strickland. Now, remember, at this point, if we have open scoring, Eric Nixick would look up and go, well, we already got Sal Diamato's score. We've won the first three rounds. As long as we don't get knocked out, the worst that we can do is a draw if he 10-8s us in one of the rounds. But we ain't losing as long as there's 10-9s. But we do have to win at least uh, two more rounds from Camijo because he's only given us one. Clearly, sorry, clearly has shut us out. He's got 30-27 for the other guy. So I'm, I'm telling you, man. Open scoring, I, I do warm up to it at times just because of that little puzzle of how freaked out that, that would be. Can you imagine trying to, like, it would be the equivalent of when you watch an NFL game in the fourth quarter and it's one of those bizarre scores, 26, 27, and you look at the chart, do we go for two? I think you're only supposed to do it with six minutes left. But, man, we can't seem to get a first down. Like, And, you know, how the clock is winding, 35, 34. Because you got to run a play, right? Do we send the mm-hmm. field goal package out, or do we go for it? 28, 27, 18, and then the field goal, and then the coach just has to make a decision. I imagine that would be difficult, difficult for Eric to look up and go, "Well, that guy's we're pitching a shutout with this guy. This guy's shutting us out, and this guy we need to impress him." What was it we run? We won that second round or the third round or whatever. That's the one where we actually got to take that. You know, hey, we need to focus on this to to win on this guy's scorecard because this guy is showing us no love at all. I don't know that the, I don't know that they would be able to do it, but it certainly would be interesting fire uh, fireside chat, you know, like afterwards. Now, in round four, Cleary does go 10-9 for Strickland, but Diamato goes 10-9 for Cannoneer, and Camillo goes 10-9 for, can, uh, <laughs> for, for uh, Cannoneer. They're playing hot potato over there, dude, with scores. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So Camijo and Diamato, even though they're opposite 49 46s, they have 
they have agreed on two rounds. And then in the final round, Cleary and Camijo are back to agreeing 10-9 for them. And Diamato goes 10-9 for Strickland. So Diamato and, Cle- and Cleary goes, they didn't agree one round. Not mm-hmm. one round did they agree. And now Cleary had the same score as Camijo, but Camijo did agree with Diamato on two of the five rounds. So it's bizarre how you can get there. Now, again, the right guy won. So in a way, it's like, whew, but this confusion should still alarm people. You know what I mean? Like that we don't have the best scoring system. Could we do pride style? Can someone remember 25 minutes of action? You know what it would be? You know what it would boil down to goes unless you have excellent notes or just excellent way of tallying things up. Like even the little sticks, one, two, three, four, cross, one, two, three, four, cross. You know, like if you're putting kicks or jabs or whatever, and then all of a sudden maybe put a big exclamation. That means it was a big, he rocked them or something. But, Unless you have a notepad with some excellent notes, you're going to rely on the feeling of who kicked whose ass is all it's going to boil down to. I'd rather be that guy or that guy, whether it's blood or damage or that guy's face or or gal or whatever. And 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 that's kind of, you know, and maybe and sometimes that's kind of what you want. Well, who kicked whose ass? You know what might be fun? And maybe we can do this on our Patreon channel. Mm-hmm. But. It might be fun if we either picked five people or just you, me, and Richard, if we just really took the time to score a card and we didn't see each other's scores. Score a fight? Score, or, well. Or you'll do a card. Do a whole card, but maybe not like, we got to take a fight off right here and there. We'll, we'll kill, it'll, it'll be horrible if you, if you had to do every single fight and watch it that way. Um. But I'm sure we could do maybe five fights or something in a whole card and just see how close we are to uh, – because you and I don't always agree. But I think for the most part we would get it right. We seem to be on the same page most of the time. So I'd just be curious to see how how that would be. I'm telling you, if you have the time, you can pretty much mess up anyone you want in this sport. And I'll tell you how. If Sean Strickland says the fucking judges don't know how to judge, they have no idea we got to get adequate judges, right? I know I'm picking on Strickland, and I shouldn't because I don't want to pile on a guy that just took a no. But he's the one at the top of my head. If you were to do a deep dive into Strickland's Twitter or Instagram and put aside all the wacky stuff he talks about, just the MMA stuff, where he's ever opined on a fight, Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, that let's say he was the one that thought uh Rose beat Carla or whatever any anything that's been controversial this year there's at least three or four people that thought the other thing that thought no you're wrong Sean like a Dean Thomas or a Kevin Ioli or a Joey Odessa you know different people that are part of the sport they just think what Sean you're crazy so, and then now pick those three people, Ioli, Odessa, and whoever else they said, Dean Thomas, and look at them. And I bet you they've turned in a score that Henry Hooft and Ray Longo and John Anik disagreed with it. And I bet you they've turned in a score that me and you and Francis and Ghana have disagreed with it. None of us agree on everything. You know why it goes? Because we're all looking at for different things. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So none of us really, I mean, we're all kind of experts to, per se, whether we fought in the octagon or not or in the ring. We've all seen enough fights. We all know the criteria to know what a proper score is. It's just that we're not sitting there and we don't see it. We don't feel it. We don't hear it. That Those judges do. And honestly, I think if we all sat down in those chairs, we'd be worse than the judges. Um, you think we'd be worse? I think we'd be worse. I think they're better trained than we are. And I think we would probably be turning in scores that, you know, that we would have those laughable scores as well. Really? Yeah. And fighters, by the way, God, who said this the other day? Somebody said, we need to get fighters in there. And I'm like, oh, no, my God. That's a terrible idea. Hell no, you don't need to get fighters in there. You know how biased the fighters are before the fights even start? Mm-hmm. You know, like, they, no, you could never, ever get fighters. Fighters have connections to another fighter. It's hard. I should say it this way. It's hard for a fighter to not have a connection to another fighter somehow and not show some type of favoritism. And strikers love strikers, wrestlers love wrestlers. They have an appreciation yeah. for that type of thing. It, it, it's, it's, yeah. So we have to gut so many things. We'd have to gut so many things in order to get a criteria that allows us to pick the right winner. Or fighters can just do more to convincingly win rounds and leave no doubt or get the finish. But fighters that don't finish hate hearing that because they say, don't you think we're trying to finish fighters? And my answer to that is, I'm sure you are, but you're not trying as hard as other ones because I've seen some fighters that have way higher finishing rates. Now, it does come at the risk of maybe getting clipped because you're too crazy and too wild. But I'll point to Carlos Condit. He won a UFC interim welterweight title. And if not for the great GSP, he would have been a champion. But he was a WEC champ. I thought he had a great career. And he had a high finishing percentage. And he didn't have the hardest um, KO power. But he hit you with volume. And he was skilled on the floor. He had great cardio or whatever. And somehow that guy used to get a lot of finishers, you know. So you don't have to, you don't have, to have the greatest power ever. To, to, to get finishes, you just have to want to get finishes. That's why Carlos Condon's name isn't usually attached to too many, like, oh, my God, it was a robbery. So, yeah. anyway, what Goes was talking about, and let me see if I can find it here. There was two things that happened uh, since we last spoke. The California State Athletic Commission added a new rule for combat sports traveling out of state. Now, I'm going to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer. But um, hmm. sorry, goes. Can you just tell me what your notes is? Oh, Aj. Oh, Ajota. Okay, Aj. Yeah, yeah. We do have the Aj uh, interview coming up. Sorry, this will be my last topic, and then we'll we'll turn it over to that. I was thinking of, I just sent you a video about how all our sarcasm just started from the iron Sheik and ah, uh-huh. you know, that little spit he does. Yeah. And um, so I thought it was related to that. I was like, what? Okay. So the California state athletic commission, they, um, they have said that if you plan on judging in the state of California, then the night before you could not have traveled further than Nevada. They want fresh officials to not be traveling far distances. Now, I read that goes, and again, I should be going, bravo, Andy Foster, bravo, 
California State Athletic Commission, way to go. And I kind of am. But why can't they judge in Arizona? That's about an hour flight. Why can't they judge in Oregon? That's about an hour flight. In fact, why can't they judge in Washington? It's a two-hour flight, but it's the same time zone. So you're not like, you know, how Crosby came five, six hours away and also lost three hours of sleep. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that might be a bit much, like maybe one time zone's okay or two hours of travel. But just Nevada, like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. Like, we, you know, we do want to – we want to move forward, but uh, I don't know. Like, what is what if they did Tijuana, Mexico? Sometimes they're in Tijuana, Mexico. I could probably get to Tijuana when I was in Orange County. I can get to Tijuana, Mexico faster than I could to Las Vegas if I was going by car. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know about this. Yeah, I I want to pat someone on the shoulder or slap them in the face. I haven't figured it out yet because essentially. I'm happy that they're trying to fix something. Me too. But at the same time, what they're trying to do, or I don't know if they're trying to do this, but to me, the impression that they're giving is this guy had a long flight, and that could be why he gave a shitty score. But that means that they're neglecting the fact that the night before, when he did have a good night's sleep, he gave a shitty score there too. You know what (laughs) I'm saying? So it's kind of like saying... We don't really want to address the shitty score. We think it could be coming from something else. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. I think what you need to do is go, why is this guy giving us two back-to-back shitty scores? Regardless of travel or whatever, you know, we need to address the bad scoring. And uh, to me, it's uh, they're like kind of giving excuses, you know, because of the travel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he probably got a great night's sleep, you know, because he's an East Coaster, I think a New Yorker. Connecticut and New York are, you know, their neighboring states. So he probably did get a great night's sleep, and he still turned in a score. You're right. And, again, we want to applaud that stuff's going down, like Mike Mazzulli saying, hey, this fight's under review. I want to sit with all three judges, not just Crosby, but all three judges and go, what happened? You know, I think I already went on a rant saying last week, well, you should have already – you should have stopped him from getting on that plane. And when he did get on the plane, the Nevada State Commission should have said, well, what the hell are you doing here? You just turned in a shitty score last night. And then when they didn't do anything about it, the UFC should have told the Nevada State Commission, how in the hell are you letting this guy judge when he turned in a shitty score last night? Like this, there could have been so many times that this guy, you know, a lot of red flags where this guy just could have been stopped and it didn't happen. But that was something I ran about last week. So this is stuff that's happened I like it. I think it's positive, but sometimes, like when the UFC did their whole who can gamble and who can't, it seems like it's a quick PR statement, but it doesn't seem well thought out. Now, I'm not saying you need to create a task force or anything like that, but there's always going to be people that poke holes. You know, when someone comes up with an idea, well, what about this? Well, what about that? You should have an airtight presentation by the time you bring it forward to the people that go, hmm. And that's, in this case, media and fans. And, again, you know, I, I, I kind of do like it. I, I, I kind of do like it. But um, there are – I know that there are a lot of referees that have done the whole drive from L.A. to Lake Tahoe or Reno. Not necessarily fly. They, they just fly. So they could be doing an eight-hour drive, and someone from Washington could do a two-hour flight. So, you know, kind of maybe – 
be a little bit more specific. And I, I'm just saying, think it through a little bit and maybe even permit for a, a, another time zone like Denver. I, I think we can get to Denver on a flight in, is it two hours from Vegas? Two and a half, I think. Yeah. That doesn't seem too bad. Texas might be pushing it. That's an extra time zone now, you know, but but Denver, New Mexico, Arizona, I, I don't know. New Mexico changes, or sorry, Arizona is even on a different time zone for part of the year. Um, it's what crazy. Are you, what are you really doing, though? I mean, come on. Let's cut the shit. What are you really doing when you're flying out there? It's not like they get off the plane and they fucking go do media for five hours and, and cut weight. Don't you just go to your hotel room? Get a bite to eat, chill, and go to bed. Like, how hard is it to get a good night's sleep? Like, I don't know. Well, further to your point, you're right. The guy the night before had slept in his own bed and turned in a shitty score. So, yeah, the flying and all that, maybe it's not proven. Because it all comes from Ariel Hawani talking about NBA referees. But, yeah, they're running up and down. You know, and I think we may have also brought up pilots that fly 10 hours. You're pretty exhausted after a 10-hour flight, regardless of the the damn thing flies itself, but you know when it comes to judges, it's it's a little bit different. What whatever, uh, I applaud the pro- progress, but it's just a little golf clap. I think there more can be done, and I also think it can be thought out a little bit better. Um, let's talk to AJ McKee, the mercenary. He's got a big fight coming up on December thirty first. He's the A side, the main event. For Bellator MMA versus Ryzen FF, it's four fights all together that they'll be uh, contesting. God, I hope it doesn't wind up two two. But Archuleta, Frady, I think I think Hiragochi's the other one. They're all going to Japan and they're gonna fight the best that Ryzen FF has to offer. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. Today we get to talk to SoCal legend AJ McKee, a former Bellator featherweight champ, now competing in the lightweight division. And he's got a scrap coming up as Bellator MMA heads to the Saitama Super Arena in Tokyo, Japan on New Year's Eve. They are battling Ryzen FF. AJ's opponent is Roberto De Souza. What's going on, AJ? How you doing, man? Man, another day in paradise, you know, just finished training up, doing my rounds, and uh, it's a good day, man. I can't complain. So I know this is Bellator versus Ryzen, and they said, you bring your best, we bring our best, but you're you're fighting the champ. You could take his strap, right? No, nah, it's not on the line. I wish it was on the line, you know. For me, um, it's all about the belts, especially us being the main event. Uh, I was looking forward to maybe putting that belt on the line, putting my belt on the line. Maybe I'll slide in his DM and tell him, like, hey, I'm going to bring my belt. You bring your belt. Winner takes all. See, I like that. Uh, I'm trying you to process me. I'm a risk taker, man. I'm going to put it all on the table every time. I know, man. You like to blaze up them streets in the Long Beach area, too. I know you like to take risks. <laughs> but uh, listen, yeah, I'm trying to process this. I guess from their point of view, being that you wouldn't be there to defend it, maybe that's not why they're doing it. But I guess, I guess you'd still get the street cred, right? And and arguing, you know, arguably, we'll give him respect too. If he were to beat you, then I guess he'd say, "Hey, look, I beat the Grand Prix champ. I beat the, you know, I, I, he takes all that too." Yeah, I mean, there's a lot on the line, so uh, 
you know, it's the best of the best versus the best of the best. And uh, I'm looking forward to just going out there and showing everybody why I'm the best. When I first heard, first heard of it, I just thought, ooh, Bellator is going to smoke them, man. You know, and then I started looking at each one of these guys and, you know, they, they got good records. They they look like they're better than I thought. You know, how, how about you? What's the level of respect heading that way? Are, are, are these pretty le- legitimate fighters uh, or, or what's going on here? Um, Definitely, you know, a fight's a fight at the end of the day. I feel like styles make fights and, uh, you know, taking nothing against these guys. You know, we're going over there fighting them in, in their home turf, in their ring. Um, under their rules so for us we're the risk takers man but um for me there's no problem more risk more reward for myself you know and uh since i was a kid i've always dreamed of of doing a pride style type fight and uh that's what i'm ready for man go go unleash some soccer kicks and knees to the face (laughs) yeah you know there's got to be something more here in my opinion can Coker board the plane with a briefcase and a milli or something like that? <laughs> right, there, should, there should be like some some bricks exchanged. You know what I'm saying? I know it could wind up two two, but maybe the winners can take home some bricks, like you mentioned, Pride style. You know, that's not shy away from that. That's how they used to bring the money home. Look, but I bring know, a kilo. Like two- they bring a kilo. Let's see what it is. I want that gold, baby. this guy's got you know a couple title defenses and everything and if you beat him but can't take home a belt you should be able to take home you know a bag or something like that as far as you know do you know it's just your win and show or or have you heard about a bonus or anything behind the scenes um i haven't heard of anything you know um obviously i'll be more than appreciative if, if there is some type of bonus um especially being the main event you know i was looking forward to maybe fighting five fives and you know, we're the main event. Let, let's let's put on a great show and, and show them why we're the champs. Um, but three fives is, is what the contract says. So that that's that's what we're gearing up for. Are you the A-side here for Bellator? You are the main event. And you and Patricio, to be fair, he is the champ, but you are 1-1. You're the Grand Prix champ. How did they wind up at you as the A-side did it have to just – I mean, is that what the request that came from them? They wanted, you you know, to, to have you headline or or, or Coker or, you know, uh, I, what, what do you think about all that? I don't know. I feel – me personally, I, I, I give shit about Patricio. You know what I mean? That dude, he don't want the trilogy. He's ducking and dodging. So, for me, um, especially after fighting in Long Beach and they he was the main event over me in my city, so – it was a little touchy subject for me, um, but now stepping into this one and me being the 55-pounder representing Bellator um, in the lightweight division, I'm I'm geared up for it, man. I'm, I'm ready. I feel like I'm A-side. I'm always A-side. Even when I'm not A-side, I'm still thinking I'm A-side. Yeah, I didn't think about that Long Beach deal. I guess I could see where you could be a little touchy about that. Sorry to bring, you, bring it up, but all right, last one for me, and then I'll turn it over to Goes. Deep down even though that, you know, you fought a couple of these guys like Pitbull and whatever. Are, are you hoping it's a Bellator sweep or do you just focus on AJ McKee? I'm focused on AJ McKee, but also at the end of the day, I want, I want the organization to look well. You know what I mean? So the fact that they chose me to go out there and represent, they chose me to go out there and represent the 155 pound division. Um, it, it means a lot to me, you know, especially just because I'm so new into the division um, but it just shows that they they respect my skill set, you know, and they feel I'm the man 
to go out there and re represent not only Bellator, but my country, the U.S. of A, baby. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to doing, you know. Um, I don't really see it as a team, you know what I mean, because Patricio wins, it doesn't affect me at all. If any other guys win, it doesn't really affect me at all. But obviously it looks good to go out there and just have a sweep. You know, I think it might be too late to get the extra money or the extra bell, all that stuff. But I was always thinking of this. When they announced this, how cool would it be to have on the mantle some kind of Ryzen Bellator uh, samurai sword? I think that would be badass oh. if I gave one of those to you guys. What do you think of that? I'm going to put in a request. I want my damn samurai sword now. <laughs> <laughs> I think cool. it'd be dope, no, man. man. That samurai stuff. That's be nice, right? In Japan, baby. There you go. So speaking of Japan, you know, one of the first things that came to my mind was rule sets. And, and you know, we grew up on pride and all that. Um, what do you think of that that particular rule set? How do you would you even like embrace that if that became a thing back in the United States? Is that something you would like? Um, partially, yes and no. I feel like um, it takes a toll on the body a bit more, obviously. Getting soccer kicked in your face, kneed in the face to the grounded opponents. But um, I think I think it's just a cool opportunity to go over there and do, but to do it every fight it can be a bit tolling and taxing on the body. So um, I think just along the lines of this opportunity in this particular situation, it's it's ideal. You know, since I was a kid, I've watched Pride from Rampage powerbombing people on their head to Shogun dropping knees at the people that are on the ground. Um, something I've always been intrigued with and I've always wanted and dreamed of. So having this opportunity to rise and – being able to go out there and showcase a different side of the mercenaries arsenal is is it's, it's an opportunity of a lifetime for me man I, I didn't care about the money or any of that you know it's just the opportunity to be out to be out there in japan and showcase my skill set for people that i feel appreciate the support the the sport on a different level you know um it's not like it's not like here in america when when people fight it's more like just gladiator. They want the blood. They want the gore. They just want that, that, rah, you know, you're going to hear that, that crazy screaming and stuff where versus in Japan, it's going to be a lot like COVID, you know, um, you're not, you're, the fans are quiet, you know, until there's an exciting moment in the, in the fight. And, um, you know, the, they don't appreciate tapping. You tap, you know, it's like, ah, you, you go to sleep. They respect that a lot, you know? So, uh, for me, it's just going out there and showing a different side of the mercenary and why he's called the mercenary and just that true warrior within yourself. So looking into some video, into some research on your opponent, is there maybe one thing that you can look at and say, hey, this guy's bringing this to the table that maybe I wouldn't say you haven't seen in your career, but maybe in the last couple of fights or something? Um, his jujitsu, man. He's he's had many, many finishes. He's a high-level black belt. Um. I train with many black belts. I've been working with uh, Jeremiah Hall, and uh, you know he's out of Tenth Planet. He's got sick jujitsu. He's won many tournaments, and I'm just looking forward to just going in there and, and, and showcasing a different side of myself that I've always dreamed of since I was a kid. You know, soccer kicking somebody in the face is just <laughs> something about it that you know it's it's a different arsenal. It's a bit more barbaric and. It's a different side of MMA that people really don't get to see. So uh, this takes me back to those backyard brawls when I was a kid. You know, like every every street fight ends with a soccer kick in the face. So this is going to be pretty much the same thing.
Ain't that the truth, man? Um, it seems like every year at the end of the year, when we're talking about the major storylines in mixed martial arts, we're talking about judging, man. I was curious, AJ. You know, we've never really heard from you. Is there like a, is there a solution if they go, AJ McKee, how do you fix this? What What's one thing you would suggest? Um, I would say open scoring, open scoring. You know, at the end of the round, the fighters know where they lie within the fight and it gives them the opportunity to dig deep, you know, show that true warrior inside how bad you want it. If you're down, if you're up, you know, it, it shows your character of who you are and, and what your purpose in the fight game is. Um, if you're up 4-0, and obviously, all right, yeah, you're going to go wrestle and take the guy down. But, I mean, it's not what the fans want to see. So I, I, I can understand both sides of the story, um, especially for the organization's sake and the entertainment aspect of it. But, um, you know, there's it's not a lot of people that have that real warrior mentality, like I'm going out on my shield. Um, for myself, open scoring would be ideal, you know, just to know where I lie in the fight and – and how things are going. Um, yeah. It, I, I think open scoring would be would be ideal. I used to be against it. Now I'm starting to warm up to it. Because, yeah, we've had some serious bad calls just in the last week. Both Bellator and the UFC. But, See, but you know, this happens. And again, that doesn't stop the way that the judges are seeing the fights. You know, it just tells the fighter where, they're, where they lie within the fight. So... I think it just gives a little bit more control back to the fighters and being able to uh, capitalize on the opportunities. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, AJ, just a couple non-MMA questions. So we've talked many times about your love for street racing, I guess we'll call it. And so... She was sitting go. right here. Oh, I got it. <laughs> I play no games, man. Damn. I play no games. So let me ask you this. So... Uh, I, you know how the algorithms work. All of a sudden, you pop on one video, and then they think, hey, this guy must like it, so they shove them down your throat. Every time I go on Instagram, it's a bunch of people at a four-way, and I guess they've blocked it off, and then they're just cutting whatever you call them, donuts or doing whatever. And that's fine. Kids will be kids. I get it, man. I mean, it's dangerous. Right. But now I'm starting to see every single video accompanies people going, woohoo, and then boom, the car hits them. You know, like, is this that common? Like, I've literally seen 20 of those just in the last month where someone goes flying. Like, I don't know, man. It just seems like the street stuff. I get it. That's probably happened since my dad was was younger, you know, but but um, no one was getting hit by a car. Does that happen? These are called sideshows. They're called sideshows. They go do donuts. And, you know, when I, when I was younger, I was in high school. I used to attend them, and I would I would have a little fun at them. I never really got into sliding my car and doing donuts like that. But they were fun, you know. Um, when I was a kid, people weren't getting hit. Um, but it's, it's the thrive. It's that adrenaline of being right there in the middle of people doing donuts and figure eights. Um, people... They're, they're a bit dangerous, man. I, I, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. You know, I'm, I'm more of like a racer. I like to go in straight lines. I like to hit lanes, doing F1 type stuff. And uh, so I got this little sim right here. I'm about to order another sim, a, a full-blown, like, simulator, simulator. Look, I didn't clear it out of spot and everything. It's about to go right over there. Nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm full force in it now. All right, so really, it's the drivers aren't bad. It's just people are creeping up because they want to get close to the action 
And they're they're actually the fools in this whole mix. Yeah, man, you can't anticipate where a car is going. They're sliding, you know what I mean? Right. They, once they see somebody, you can hit the brakes, you know, and you'll see videos where the awareness, you have good drivers who are capable of stopping the car from hitting other cars when another car spins out. You know, that's just awareness. But when it comes to people, you're not really trying to pay attention to who's on the outside spectating, you know. Your, your main thing is finding your drift line and – and figuring out how to how to swing in that circle. Um, people just got to be cautious, man. People got to be cautious when they go to these events. And, uh, you know, just in, enjoy from the side, man. Let these guys do their thing, you know. And, and enjoy if you're going to be there in that presence. And and enjoy that, you know. I, I haven't attended them. You know, they, they get a bit rowdy. You know, people start smacking it in cars. And fights break out and then guns come out. It, it, it turns into a wild party sometimes. So uh, I tend to stay away from those. I, I, I don't like them. Have you gone to Pomona where they have the drag races, the professional drag races before? Yeah, Pomona Raceway. Yeah. You got Pomona Raceway. You got a Irwindale. You, there's all kinds of tracks out here, man. But see, this is the thing. There's no circuits. There's no circuit tracks. The closest mm. circuit track for us is about two and a half miles or two and a half hours away in Willow Springs. And uh, it's a nice track, man. It's a nice track. Um, but it, it's just so far, man. You know, if I'm going to take my, my S2000, my Honda, or my Caddy out there, like, I don't want to be racing my Caddy on that track and there's a bunch of people out there, you know. Like, I, then something happens, it breaks down. It's just, it's a lot, you know what I mean? So hopefully maybe, you know, SoCal is is very big into the race scene you know from from fast and furious like it's literally been embedded to to the california just the california lifestyle you know it's kind of like the weed you know what i mean like it's, it's it's california man like this is what we know this is this has just been in front of us our entire life it's what people enjoy to do and um i think just creating a safe environment for people is is the key you know, Long Beach does the Long Beach Grand Prix. That's that's something really big. But once again, these are professional drivers doing their professional thing. So maybe one day I could get big in the city. You know, go go talk to the right people and hopefully get a nice a nice track put in the Long Beach somewhere or something. Get in the celebrity one. Didn't we talk about this before? Have you? We the, did. We did. We did. Okay. Honestly, screw the celebrity one, man. I'm coming for the Indies, baby. <laughs> that's gonna be my first goal. I want to win the Indian hey, Long Beach, man. Love, Long Beach Grand Prix. There's levels to this. Come on. I know man. there's levels to this, man. But just some know, guy walking look, in. Just right some here, guy walking in. You know, I, I I wrestled in high school. Uh, give me AJ. I'm gonna jack him up. I'm gonna be champ. You'd probably tell him settle down. You got to do amateur. <laughs> work your way up. Hey, practice makes perfect, and um, I'm I'm willing to put in the work. You know, I, I know I got a late start compared to all these other guys, but when you're passionate about something and you dream of something, I think. Sky is the limit, you know. You get the right people behind you, the right team, and uh, sky is the limit, man. Hopefully, I'll be up there with Lewis Hamilton coming for him. <laughs> Sir, Lew Sir Lewis Hamilton, did you see he got knighted? Sir, Sir. He's yes. Now Sir, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. and, and respect, um, man, that dude is the goat. He he is. F he's F me F in the cage. Vegas. <laughs> F one's coming to Vegas. Did you hear about that? I did. I did. That's going to be phenomenal. That's going to be dope. I'll probably try to attend that just because it's it's a nice drive up. So I'll, I'll enjoy the drive up and uh, enjoy the racing and, yeah, have some fun. Hopefully meet some people and just go out there and enjoy it, man. If you're in that monster suite and you hear uh, somebody go, man, they couldn't show, huh? We got two tickets. 
Holler at your boys. We're in Vegas. Hey, <laughs> I got you guys. We watched that actual Grand Prix on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that show. It's it's Ghost turned it on to me, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's phenomenal, man. Uh, I I literally so my buddy's got a sim. He's got a, a real like a real sim one that I'm looking forward to getting here within the next month or so. And uh, after practice, you know, if I wasn't doing these interviews right now, I'd go over to his house and I'd hop in the sim and and just get a couple laps in. You know, that that's what it's about: finding your race line finding the apexes, learning how to just really drive. And, um, yeah, man, practice makes perfect. So I just got to keep practicing, keep practicing day in, day out until until I get to that point. Hey, let's have a little fun here. So today I saw an interview with Jamal Hill that we did years ago where he said, one day I'm going to do this, I'm going to be fighting for a title. And sure enough, they put it side by side with what's happening today. Back in the day, we used to interview Conor McGregor when he was at Cage Warriors. And one day, he goes, I'm going to I'm gonna win the second title here at Cage Warriors. I'm going to go to the UFC. I'm going to win two belts over there. And we're going to have a drink at the Mandalay Bay and laugh about it. He did it. So why don't you do, in five years, where will you be in racing? And then we'll go back, and maybe we can match it up. Five years from now, I'm going to be in the Indies, and I'm going to be in the Long Beach Grand Prix, baby, and we're going to get it in. There you go. All right. Hopefully I win it. I got to win it at least once, man. I got to win it in my city at least once. We always wind up on street racing somehow, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, dude's got a lot of cars, and he loves it. it, F1, though, that's a different beast. Like, these guys come from, like, doing kart races when they were kids. Like, they grow up in that. Not saying he can't do it. But uh, the same way you you put it out there, like, hey, man, what if just somebody on the street said, hey, I'm 5-0 in street fights. I could take that guy. Like, it just don't work that way. Exactly. Uh, he does seem to be taking Roberto Souza serious, and that's always good. And he does seem pretty excited about going out to Japan and following in the tradition of, you know, what Quentin Rampage Jackson used to do back in the day and all the pride superstars. And that's fighting on the 31st at Saitama Super Arena in Tokyo, Japan. Patricio Pitbull, Archuleta, Juan Archuleta, and Kyoji Horiguchi are the four representatives that will be taking on the flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, and lightweight studs out in uh, Ryzen FF. So be on the lookout for that. Showtime, I believe, is going to broadcast that. Anyway, moving on here to some of the other news that's out there. There's a gentleman named Zion Clark. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's a former collegiate wrestler who was born without legs. Well, he competed in MMA this past weekend and got a win. Goes 30-27 on all the judges' scorecards. He defeated Eugene Murray. Speaking of AJ McKee and Tony McKee, they were in his corner, so he's one of their guys, but um, this guy has really made the most out of his condition, which is called caudal regression syndrome. It's a disorder that it uh, impairs the development of the lower half of one's body. But if you look at his upper body, I mean, he's chiseled. And aside from fighting and wrestling, he's like a – there's a variety of push-ups, and I guess he's a push-up champion, and he's been able to break records doing stuff. Um wheelchair racing at the Paralympics like he you know he's he hasn't let this condition not allow him to succeed in life just being able to function as an adult 
with this condition, go to school, all that is so uh, I I would admire that so much. But to even take it a step further and really just be an influence for so many other people. uh, Boy, does it make me feel fat and lazy Mm. just seeing somebody like that Mm -hmm. do the things that he does. It's very inspirational, man. It really is. I, I, it's amazing. Like even if he went out there and just got completely shellacked, still props for doing something in your life that's meaningful like that, and um, to get the victory that that's pretty huge. Yeah, no doubt. I also want to commend somebody else, but for different reasons. Um, and it's. I shouldn't say it like that. Okay, so first of all, there's a gentleman named Orlando Sanchez that passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, he is known better in the jiu-jitsu world, right? And so Orlando Sanchez, he actually competed at Abu Dhabi goes. I saw him compete there uh, when I went to the Thomas and Mac here in, uh, a few months ago when they were in town. And when I saw him, I immediately recognized him from that video from when him and Strickland went at it at Jason Perillo's gym, Ruka mm-hmm. gym in Costa Mesa, California. And I guess Sanchez is just really, really good at tying up your arms and jerking them in a motion where he can, you know, possibly pull your shoulder out of socket or rip your elbow ligaments or whatever tendons. And so they were arguing and Strickland was pissed and Sanchez was like, come on, stop it. Let's go. You know? And anyway, um, so as soon as they announced Sanchez as part of the, the slew of fighters that was competing, I was like, oh, that's that dude, you know. Um, so I looked into him a little bit more. And, yeah, he was even a previous Abu Dhabi champion. Um, this time I think he was completing at, at the heaviest weight class, but I think he had one of one of the ones below. He was They call him the Cuban tree stump. So he wasn't that tall necessarily, but he was thick and strong, you know, and he was a legit black belt. And then this morning, or sorry, yesterday, I think I went on Junkie, and I saw that um, he had passed away. I was bummed out, man. I just saw him compete. Yeah, it's sad, man. Um, I I recognize him from that, too. And you kind of see him around a little bit here and there, but uh, it just feels like this year, more than any, we've been kind of doing this a lot. Yeah, so on our... Junkie page, there's a lot of tributes coming in from the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world, the MMA world that crosses over into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like, for example, Marcus Buchecha was one of them. He competes at, at one championship, and he's a a G in the world of um, submission grappling and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But, you know, like I say, we've talked to Buchecha through his competing at one championship, so he had something to say. Tom DeBlas had something to say. Robert Drysdale, Sean Strickland. Uh, yeah, rest in peace, you big angry SOB. Um, Jake Shields. But, yeah, um, I just wanted to say that if you looked at this guy, folks, you would have never thought that this guy would be any form of an athlete. Uh, usually Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are thinner dudes or whatever, flexible dudes. But this guy, he was a Cuban tree stump. But yet he won in Abu Dhabi. So that's what I was getting at was he didn't let his lack of size or reach or height or anything stop him from competing in combat sports, and he won a major medal. But unfortunately, he's gone. He had like a Jay Glazer-esque type uh, body. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, here are the results, by the way, from that fight card, fight night card that took place. It was called Cannoneer versus Strickland or UFC fight night. What the hell was it? Uh, had it here. I lost it. I'm sorry. And in the co-main event, Armand Sarukian defeated Demir Ismagulov. Amir Albazi defeated Alessandro Costa. Alex Caceres defeated Julian Arosa. Drew Dober defeated Bobby Green. Michael Olenechek defeated Cody Brundage. Cody, Corey McKenna, excuse me, defeated Cheyenne Velismas. Matt Semelsberger defeated Jake Matthews. Saeed Nurmagomedov defeated uh, Saeed, Saeed Yukob Kakramanov. Sorry. Rafa Garcia defeated Masha Tate. Uh, Renat Fak, <laughs> Fak Herditoff or whatever defeated Brian Battle. Manel Kopp defeated David Dvorak. Sergey Morozov defeated Journey Newsom. In the last minute, Julian Marquez and Duran Wynn was pulled. They were supposed to fight. And if you're wondering, hey, wasn't Albazi supposed to fight Alex Perez? Perez had to withdraw, and that's how he got to Costa. Heck, even further than that, it was supposed to be Brandon Royval versus Amir Albazi. So Amir Albazi went through three different opponents, but that didn't stop him from getting the dub uh, over Alessandro Costa. So I would say let's start with the co-main event, Sarukian over Ismagulov. Three rounds, went to a decision, but Sarukian got the job done, and he's insisting he thinks he's got the right skill set to beat Islam Makashev, and he just hung a second L on Ismagulov, who was like 24-1, and one, so he hasn't tasted defeat much, but he got past him. Yeah, Islam Makashev is tough to... Uh... <laughs> I don't know that you could really say like he doesn't have a weakness. You just have to be better than him at what he does, right? So um anytime somebody says that, you're gonna roll your eyes probably. But uh nobody's unbeatable, you know, the right night, right time, you can catch him. Even even the great Habib has been stunned before. Mm. You know, they just didn't capitalize on it, but it, it happens. So you never know, but I think it's well, it- a little too early. Yeah, and he speaks from experience. You know, they fought. He didn't get finished. And that's a big thing to not get finished, considering some of the top guys have gotten finished by Makashev, including Charles Oliveira, Bobby Green. You know, I mean, I guess he didn't have a lot of top guys getting to the to the top. But when he when he did, he had to beat arguably the unofficial world champion, which was Charles Oliveira, and he finished him. Um, but Hooker, Green, they all went down pretty quick, you know, and Sarukian. He went to a decision, and Sarukian honestly could be twenty and two instead of nineteen and three. That loss to Gamrat was earlier this year was a little bit controversial. So I'm gonna allow him to say it just because again, um, there's no fear factor going in because they fought before, and not getting finished is a big thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we also had. Uh, Amir Albazi defeating Alexander, sorry, Alessandro Costa. Look for Amir Albazi, similar to Nicholas Mateo, uh, Mateus Nicolau, to maybe get matched up because Moreno and Figueredo can't go on forever. And we have to have people that jump in and eventually fight. I would imagine Ale- Alexander Pantoja is, is probably next, but we have kind of a new wave of fighters that are coming in that are going to obviously stake their claim to maybe fight, you know, once this whole quintology or whatever it's called is over between the Brazilian and the Mexican, 
Um, big fight in early January in Brazil, by the way. Alex Caceres, you know, I remember seeing him at Tough with you guys. We interviewed him before the Ultimate Fighter started. And, of course, I don't think I said who's this scrub but because they can all fight. But I remember thinking, mm, I don't see this guy having too long of a career. Even if he gets through the Tough House, it just seemed like there was more impressive people in his season there. And here he is still chugging along, and he beat a, a Julian Arosa who's been kind of hot lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good win for him. Um, that kick, I mean, like, it landed flush on the jaw. He was off balance when he threw it. And you don't really know Alex Caceres for doing things like that. So, uh, very good win. Julian Arosa is very underrated. So, I don't know that Caceres gets the props that he probably deserves. That's a really good win, though. Caceres really should have had nothing on it, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, because he was off balance. and But yet, somehow, when he missed with the punch, the way his body was just kind of following through, there was there was the shin to connect with Erosa. Now, he also had a, a couple of nice follow-up punches that made it even worse. Um, you know, I'm not ignorant to that. But um, just... Like I say, I, I give this guy props for being around so long. Like, I just didn't think he would last that long uh, in mixed martial arts. So good, you know, good for him. He's very, you know, this whole Bruce Leroy shtick thing. The, the, I feel like I feel like he's trying to trick us, and he's really a street punk, but he hides behind this whole, you know, like um, I'm a martial artist looking for the path and the way, you know, maybe to honor Bruce Lee and, you know, but, you know, I, I remember him being from the streets of Miami and doing the underground fights and whatever, but so he'll, he'll have these quotes and he'll say these things where you're like, well, maybe I got the whole, maybe I got the the kid wrong, not only just from the athletic side, but from the personality side too. Have you ever felt that way with this guy? He seems pretty genuine. One of my favorite moments in mixed martial arts at a live event came from him. I told you the story, right? No. He there was a kid at um this was at the Palms, I think. There was this little kid, he maybe I don't know, eight years old, something like that. He would run past a bunch of people to the aisle to try and get a high five from a fighter every time they would come out, and mm-hmm. none of them would give him a high five. And uh so he would be like real dejected, and on this last one. He just kind of had his head down and, and he sat down. So when the next fighter came out, people were telling him, go, go, no. And he was just kind of like, what for? You know, like, I'm, I'm like, oh, for eight tonight. And uh, they kept pushing him. And so he went and kind of had like this dumb walk and he's hanging over and Bruce Leroy comes out and he not only turns around and gives him a high five, but he takes his hat off and he puts it on this kid's head and then turns around and does his thing. You know, Bruce Leroy's dancing and stuff. And so he didn't even know he did it. What what happened? But that kid just melted and everyone around him just went crazy cheering because he finally got his high five and he even got a hat and everything. Mm. So then fast forward to uh so he's super happy. Bruce Leroy has no idea how happy he made that kid. But then the next day I talked about it on the show and his mom called into the show because that was my kid. I don't you don't remember that? Yeah, she goes that that was my kid that you guys are talking about and he was so happy and bruce leroy made a fan for life and 
So yeah, one of my favorite moments uh, covering the sport came from Bruce Leroy, who probably has no idea this happened. So you could probably find out what fight that was, right? You said it was I, at the Palms? You know, I think it might have been the one where Tavares fought uh, Izzy. But you said it was at the Palms? I'm pretty sure it was at the Palms, yeah. How long ago does it feel? About four years ago. I see one here. Let's see here. Martin Bravo, Ultimate Fighter Finale. That was at the... doesn't tell me where. Well, hold on. Let me just click this button. That was at T-Mobile Arena. Why would a finale be at the T-Mobile Arena? That can't be right. Uh-huh. Attendance 2100. No, it wasn't at the T-Mobile Arena. Get your act together. Uh, topology. It, it is... Israel Adesanya versus Tavares. So you think that was the card? I he fought Martin Bravo. Yeah, is he kind of like in the middle of the card somewhere? And it does look like he was the ninth fighter to fight, so eight fighters would have gone before him and dissed him. Mm-hmm. Did they just not see him, or did they look at him and actually dissed him? I think they probably didn't see him. You know, he just had his arm out. I think a couple people would just focus, like, I'm not trying to do that. But Because uh, if they yeah. did see him and dissed him, guess you want to know who the dissers are? Sure. We're not saying they are. We're just having a goof. Gerald Mearshart, Stephen Peterson, Bryce Mitchell, John Gunther, Luis Pena, Montana De La Rosa, Alessio De Chirico, and Roxanne Metaferi. <laughs> <laughs> the Happy Go Lucky, or what's her name? The Happy Warrior, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably it. All right. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find maybe. Um. This was July. 2018. I'm gonna see if maybe I can look for that show and see if I can find that out. Wow, that's a great memory. Yeah, great memory, and I'm glad that that happened. And we'll have to share that with Bruce Leroy. Excuse me. I love that dance he was doing. I don't know if you caught it when he was walking out of the cage. Mm-hmm. He was doing a pretty funny dance. Um, <laughs> I was laughing, uh, folks. The the bonuses went to. Let's see here. 50000 to Caceres. And Dober and Green got fight of the night, 50000 each. And Olechechnik, Olechek, or whatever. Let me see. Um, He got 50000 as well. So not every finisher got it. Um, There was a lot of decisions. Let me see. The first four fights were decisions. There wasn't like a ton of finishes, but uh, sometimes the UFC will give every finisher some sort of a bonus. Dana White always says, I'll take care of them in the back end. Okay, cool. Um, Green and Dober put on a great fight. I mean, Green was embarrassing Dober in round one, and then Dober came out and knocked him out in round two. And I think just like how I told you about Strickland, Green is slick. He's got great hand-eye coordination. He's got great defense. But they're four-ounce gloves, and it just seems to play with a lot of fire. And Dober, to his credit, aside from Dustin Poirier, I think he's either got the same or the most finishes for lightweights. He should have taken that a little bit more serious. Now, that said, Green's already come out on social media and said, that's my bad. He's definitely not blaming anyone else. Yeah, that was a really good fight. And that that was kind of shocking to see that comeback as well. But it did hit him right on the button. In watching it, I actually thought, like, the reaction was Bobby Green falling back, just 
looked like he was completely out. Mm-hmm. But if you watch it closely, when the referee steps in, he's kind of reaching a little bit. Like, I'm not saying it was a bad stoppage, but it's one that you could definitely look back and go, maybe could have came out of this. He got clipped on the side of the head, and that's what started it all. And then all of a sudden, the jaw was just there for Do- for Dober to hit. But again, Green's already dealt with it. Looks like he's going to rebound from it. I don't know if that'll change his style or what, but um, I've always been a Green fan ever since Affliction. Last but not least, Luana Carolina is going to fight Joanne Wood. Now, normally this wouldn't be the biggest news, but I could have sworn I saw Joanne Wood get cut by the UFC. She wasn't on this um, roster that Bloody Elbows does a pretty good job of keeping. They'll tell you who the recent cuts are, who the recent additions are. And it's similar to that bot on Twitter that everybody goes, oh, the bot found somebody getting cut. I could have sworn Joanne Wood had gotten cut. But she's back. So, yeah, I guess she got re-signed. She'll be fighting at UFC 286 in London, England. The one headlined by, we're hoping, Leon Edwards and Kamar Usman, although little rumors have been floating around about that. Another big fight that got signed to that is Marvin Vittori and Roman Dalitze. So either way, I'm just happy for Joanne Wood. I know she's in a one and four run, but I think she had won three and four in a row and was right on the cusp of beating Val- or five, sorry, fighting Valentina Shashenko. And then that fight fell through. And then since then, there's just been a tumble. Yeah. yeah. It's good to see her back, though. Don't forget to catch us on Spinning Back Click on Mondays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, including tomorrow. And so just make a note of it because you might not even listen to this until the tomorrow show's already been filmed. Now we are going to have one week off, but I'm telling you, aside from that, 51 weeks of the year, you will hear us do spinning backlink. And even the week we're gone, you're going to see a, a pre-record done by us and the crew so that you get all 52 spinning backlinks again, every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It just won't be live, but check it out. Myself and goes are featured on that every week along with the two Junkie Radio shows here on MMA Junkie. We're going to bounce on out of here. We will be here for a second show this week, but after that, we will be off uh, until pretty much after the new year. So anyway, um, if you don't hear from us, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, be safe. But again, look out for the second show this week, and we'll talk to you then. Go out and be a champion. <laughs>